Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. This is the only podcast devoted 100% to the regional champion, Texas Tech Red Raider baseball team. Tonight, I'll recap the Lubbock Regional, where the Red Raiders hosted Army, Dallas Baptist, and Florida. And we'll talk a little bit about the Oklahoma City Regional, where Oklahoma State, in Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark, hosted UConn, Nebraska, and Harvard. We'll also talk a little bit about the Major League Baseball draft, how the Red Raiders fared, and we will, of course, look ahead to the Super Regional in Lubbock, Texas, happening this weekend as the Red Raiders play host to the Oklahoma State Cowboys. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. From opening weekend all the way through Omaha, we'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Well, it was a wild and woolly weekend in Lubbock, Texas, folks. A lot of fun out here playing some good baseball. The Red Raiders put some unrest and fears to bed, I think, in a sweep of the Lubbock Regional, finishing that series in three games. They opened up on Friday against Army in the afternoon game. There was a question, I think, about Army, if their small ball would test the Red Raiders, test the pitchers off the mound, and and test the infield defense. But ultimately, the Red Raiders answered that question resoundingly, beating Army 11-2. to Both teams did commit one error apiece, but the Red Raiders out-hit the Black Knights 16-6. to Tech left 12 runners aboard on the, on the day. Army left eight stranded. Overall, I won't run through every scoring play, but Texas Tech hit 421 on the day as a team. They hit 579 with two outs, 400 runners in scoring position. I know a lot of you are really concerned with that number, and that one looked really nice against Army. Overall, 500 with bases loaded. It was a good day for the Red Raiders offensively. And Micah Dallas, your starting pitcher on that Friday, looked fantastic as well. He went seven innings pitched. Had three hits, one run. It was not earned. One walk and seven strikeouts in 99 total pitches. That's his longest outing of the season. Really, really nice job by Micah Dallas. Made you feel good about what you had there in that young starter. Ryan Sublette came in with a really nice inning of relief, and Caleb Freeman also an inning of relief, closing it out. He did give up a run, but at that point, the Black Knights were just too far behind. Lots of good performances on the evening. You did have some changes in the lineup. Dylan Noisy with a hamstring injury is listed as day-to-day. So you had Gabe Holt move into the center field position. Tanner Otremba got the start in right field. Cody Masters was the DH for the day. Easton Morrell continuing his starting duties at third base. Gabe Holt leads things off. He went two for four with two runs scored. He had a double and a triple as well as a walk. So Gabe Holt got himself on cycle watch early on. He did a really nice job, opened the game with a leadoff triple, if I recall correctly. Tanner Otrimba made Tim Tadlock look like a genius, putting him in in right field. He was three for four with three RBI, two runs scored. He had a double. He also drew a walk. Tanner Otrimba looking really good overall in that Friday game against Army. Josh Young was two for three with two runs scored. He also drew two walks. And Cameron Warren, two for four, three RBI, two runs scored. Cam Warren drew a walk and hit a home run. He hit three home runs in three games 
through this regional. Cam is swinging the bat as good as anybody in the country right now. He is absolutely tattooing the ball. He hit one later in the weekend that was basically an Adrian Beltre-style hit. He almost went down to his knee, and they cut it off in the video, but Cam also almost ate it heading around first as he was looking back at the dugout smiling. So really, these guys seem to be having a lot of fun. They're playing very well right now. That Army game definitely showed you some of the things they're capable of offensively, especially when you have a strong pitcher on the mound. So the Red Raiders head into the Saturday game. Dallas Baptist does defeat Florida on Friday night, as was expected. So Texas Tech faces the Patriots in the Saturday game. This game was one that will give you a heart attack. The Red Raiders scored all of their runs in the second inning. They were the away team, which, don't get me started, I won't do a throw and Chad segment here, but it's ridiculous that you earn the right to host your own regional in the postseason, and you have to be the away team on your own field. It just doesn't make sense. You get the home field advantage. What's the point of the home field advantage if you don't actually get to be the home team? That's just silly. I, I think if you host... They can shuffle things around however they want, but if you host, you should be the home team when you play the games. That just makes sense to me. But in that second inning, Josh Young led things off with a single through the left side, and then Cameron Warren hits a home run to left field, scoring Josh Young and himself, of course. Cole Stilwell and Kurt Wilson both draw back-to-back walks. Wilson was, of course, your starting left fielder that day. Parker Kelly then reaches on a fielder's choice, And you end up with the bases juice and then Braxton Fulford singles to left field, scoring Cole Stilwell. And that's it for the scoring. The Red Raiders don't score again for the rest of the game. They end up winning 3-2, to a little bit nerve-wracking. They do hold Dallas Baptist down. They give up two runs in the fifth, but they're able to stifle them the rest of the way and keep anything else from getting going. Caleb Killian was pretty good, not fantastic, not world beater. He went four and two-thirds innings. He allowed seven hits, two runs. They were both earned, one walk and five Ks in 67 pitches. We've certainly seen sharper performances out of Caleb Killian, and I would predict in the Super that you'll see him put those things back together. But you feel really great after that Army game where you use three pitchers, but two of them only win an inning apiece. You know that your bullpen is still basically intact, and you have your favorite reliever to come in. Taylor Floyd comes in behind Killian. He goes four and a third innings pitch and actually earns the win. He's five and three on the season with one walk and five Ks in his four and a third innings pitch. No hits, no runs at all. Fantastic job by Taylor Floyd in his 66 pitches. Looked really, really strong. Did a very nice job for the Red Raiders in relief when they needed it. So now, two games down in the regional, you've only used five pitchers. And then the Red Raiders walk into an afternoon game on Sunday and wait for their opponents. So Dallas Baptist and Florida play. The Saturday games got moved around due to potential weather, as did the Sunday games. Texas Tech's first pitch of 8 p.m. gets moved up to about 6 o'clock. They ultimately end up starting that game about 6.30 based on what th- what goes on before. Dallas Baptist and Florida meet in a pretty exciting one. Florida goes up early. They score one in the first and one in the third. So they're up 2-0 going into the fourth against DBU. But DBU reels off nine runs in the fourth inning to take a 9-2 lead. But then Florida responds, comes back with four runs in the bottom of the fifth. So that puts it at 9-6. 
Florida tacks on another in the seventh, nine to seven, and they tack on one more in the ninth, making it nine eight, but they're not quite able to get over the hump and get things tied up. They can't force extra innings or take the win. So they end up dropping their elimination game to the Patriots nine to eight. Now I'm never sad to see the Gators go, but Dallas Baptist is a salty team and you almost would rather have faced this down Florida team in the regional championship. But the Red Raiders respond quickly to that DBU team who has to turn right around 55 minutes later and start their game. But once again, it's a nail-biter all the way through. Texas Tech scores their only runs of the game in the bottom of the first inning. Three runs, and that ends up being the score. Three to nothing as the Red Raiders throw a five-hit shutout of Dallas Baptist to win the Lubbock Regional. To start things off in the bottom of the first, Gabe Holt singles up the middle. Dylan Noisy strikes out swinging, but Holt steals second in the process. Brian Klein flies out to center field, but Gabe Holt advances to third on that. Josh Young's hit by a pitch, so you end up with runners on the corner. And then none of that work matters because Cameron Warren homers to left field. That's a three RBI shot for him, and you end up with a three nothing score, and that's where it stands all the way through. A nail biter again as the Red Raiders shut out. Dallas Baptist. They did get to be the home team this time. Bryce Bonin was nothing short of fantastic for the Red Raiders. His longest outing of the season, he goes seven innings pitched, improves to six and one with the win. He's got three hits allowed, but no runs, none of them earned, two walks, seven strikeouts in his 95 pitches. Bonin was maintaining velocity. He just absolutely has wipeout breaking balls. He does a fantastic job out there. Really nice to see that young man step up and make it happen. And then big John McMillan comes in in relief. He does two innings pitched. He allows two hits, no runs, no walks. He has five Ks. He breaks 100 on the gun, and he earns the save, his second save of the season. John McMillan was absolute nails. It was so exciting to see him pitch. His velo was off the charts, but then he also had wipeout breaking balls, dropping his changeup down into the low 90s. He had other stuff getting down into the low to mid 80s. His curveball just really looked good for the Red Raiders. Such a weapon to have when he is putting balls in the strike zone. So the Red Raiders sweep that Lubbock Regional And meanwhile, the Oklahoma State Cowboys are playing at the Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma City, unable to host at their own ballpark, Allie P. Reynolds Stadium, due to all the rain. Oklahoma State faced Harvard in the Friday game. They beat them two to nothing. A little bit closer game, I think, than most folks expected out of that. Harvard, not a bad team, but Oklahoma State's supposed to be this monster on this massive roll through the country right now, the hottest team, as many like to say. They end up facing Nebraska in the Saturday game, but they only beat Nebraska 6-5. to five. It's a really tight one for them, barely able to pull things out. It actually takes, it actually takes a four-run ninth inning for the Cowboys to take the lead, and Nebraska just not able to answer. But the Cowboys trailed most of the game 5-2 to two, heading into the ninth. They then face UConn in the Sunday game, and the Huskies actually take down the Cowboys 5-2. to two. 
They're just way more productive than the Cowboys are able to be. They out-hit them 8-6. to six. Both teams did have an error, but Oklahoma State left 10 runners aboard in a game that they couldn't afford to do that. So they drop a game to UConn, and they have a winner-take-all on Monday night against UConn. The Huskies fought as hard as they could. They just did not have the pitching to continue facing off. It was a tight game. UConn had five hits to the Cowboys' seven, but just ultimately not able to finish it out. Both teams scored one run in the fifth, but Oklahoma State had tacked on two more in the sixth, and the Huskies couldn't answer. And The Cowboys take that Oklahoma City Regional 3-1 to one against UConn. So they're heading to Lubbock, coming in this weekend to see what they can do against the Red Raiders, who swept them earlier in the season. You know, I know Red Raider fans are feeling a little bit nervous about things because you're looking at a team now that you've swept and now you got to come back and try to beat them two out of three it's not easy to beat a team five or six times and can get really difficult when you're trying to do that especially when you're talking postseason play because many times all bets are off but we'll look a little bit at these teams and their stats and maybe we can put your fears at ease a little bit about what's going on with both and how they might stack up here as they prepare to meet in Lubbock. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the Major League Baseball draft. Round one of the draft was on Monday night, so it was an exciting Monday night, certainly in my house. You had the draft to pay attention to, tried to watch Oklahoma State and UConn, and then UCLA was playing LMU in a winner-take-all game. That's Loyola Marymount playing them in a winner-take-all game out in L.A. And curious about that one because unless things get shuffled, Texas Tech, if they advance from the Super Regional, would be facing UCLA or the winner of that Super Regional in the first round of the College World Series. So I wanted to watch that one a little bit. It ended up being an exciting game. UCLA took that one ultimately 6-3. to three. I couldn't finish it. Those West Coast games go way too late into the night. They're way past my bedtime. But you had a lot of Red Raiders that were looking to get drafted and some expectations there. Last season, the Red Raiders had 11 players drafted. Ten of them went on to play pro ball. Caleb Killian, the only one that elected to stay and return to Texas Tech for his junior year. He was a draft-eligible sophomore last year. But of course, and it wasn't a surprise, Josh Young, although many thought his draft stock may have dropped a little bit, he was taken eighth overall in the Major League Baseball draft. That's a slot value of $5.18 million. Now, that's not guaranteed that's exactly what Josh Young got, but that slot value gives you a pretty good idea what his signing bonus was. Eighth overall, and he's going to the Texas Rangers. So how exciting is that for Josh Young to get to stay in the state of Texas or at least to come back to the state of Texas after he makes his way through the farm system and he'll have an opportunity to be a Ranger and play in that new ballpark in Arlington. No one else was taken on the first day of the draft. That went through the first two rounds. Of course, last year, Grant Little was taken near the end of the second round, so he had a Red Raider on the first day last year as well. On the second day, Gabe Holt was taken in the seventh round, the 223rd pick by the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, from what I understand, Gabe Holt was taken in the seventh round, but his pick value, that slot was right around $193,000, but I believe Gabe Holt's actual bonus was probably a fair bit higher than that, you know, kind of valued in a higher round, somewhere in the, the low third or fourth round range. So, probably a pretty good indication if that is the case that he will be going on to play pro baseball and all the best to number two it's been a pleasure watching him play and glad he'll still be around here for the rest of this postseason and Gabe Holt also tweeted at 
Taylor Floyd, who was also taken by the Brewers, saying, hey, teammates again. So pretty good indication that Gabe Holt will be heading on down the road out of Lubbock. In the next round, Caleb Killian was taken in the eighth round, 236th pick by the San Francisco Giants. That's a huge improvement. Killian was taken in the 20th round last season. So really a, a solid choice by him. He's had a really good season for the Red Raiders. Still more good things to come, you hope, as well. Taylor Floyd was taken in the 10th round by the Brewers, as I said, 313th pick. And then a surprise to many, John McMillan was not taken until the 11th round. So a guy that can throw 100 in the strike zone, who's really showing well, held until the 11th round, 322nd pick by the Detroit Tigers. So a little bit of a surprise there that McMillan wasn't taken earlier. He's a obviously a big junior for the Red Raiders, and normally you don't see folks come back for their senior season in baseball because you lose your leverage. So there is an opportunity to improve your stock, but you may lose your leverage in what your your bonus money will be. And so I would be surprised if you saw any juniors come back. Gabe Holt was the only draft-eligible sophomore that was taken this year, and as I already said, I would expect him to go on to pro ball. Caleb Freeman was the next one taken. He was taken in the 15th round, 440th pick to the Chicago White Sox, and rounding it out, Big Cam Warren taken in the 22nd round, 654th pick to the Cincinnati Reds. Now, Cam Warren was the topic of a little bit of conversation. I definitely was pretty outspoken thinking that Cameron Warren should be the Big 12 Player of the Year. I stand by that. At the very least, he should have been the co-player of the year with Josh Young. Davis Wenzel had no business being in that mix. He played 11 less games than Cameron Warren due to injury and cancellations. There's just no way to compare those guys. And Funny note, Wenzel was actually taken behind Josh Young by the Rangers as well. So I guess... It was important for them to get their new legacy third baseman and then to get a backup with a lot of long hair, too. So during the postgame press conference, there was a question posed to Josh Young about Big 12 Player of the Year voting, and I thought it was interesting. And you can't see what Josh is doing, obviously, here on the podcast, but as the question's being asked, the first thing Josh Young starts to do is smile and point across the table at Cameron Warren as the camera pans over. Josh, if they, if they did a revote of the Big 12 Player of the Year, do you think the uh, co-player of the year would be sitting to you? I think he'd just be the player of the year. Uh, he's had one heck of a year, and this weekend, you, you see it every game. He's hitting home run to put us ahead. Um, I don't know. We, we always met him all the time saying that he just rakes. He's the best hitter in the country, so you know <laughs> hitting that home run when he came across home plate. When he came across home plate, that's all we were saying, and you know it's just a lot of fun um, having guys in our lineup that can go up there and get the job done. You know, I love that. I love Josh Young's personality and his willingness to point to a teammate and say, this guy deserves it. This guy is doing a great job. And even though they may poke fun at Big Cam Warren, he is absolutely raking right now. He it's hard to say single-handedly in baseball, but when it comes to the actual swings, he just about single-handedly beat these teams over the weekend. I mean, Cameron Warren hit a home run in every single game of the Red Raiders regional. I mean, it was unbelievable what he was able to do. He got intentionally walked. It didn't really make any difference. I mean, he was just doing absolute work throughout the weekend. Just Cameron Warren is just something else, man. And you got a three-run home run against Army in the bottom of the seventh. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you got a two-run home run in the top of the second, which is two-thirds of the Red Raiders scoring for the entire day against Dallas Baptist in the first game. And then you have 
The only scoring of the day is a three-run home run in the bottom of the first against Dallas Baptist in the championship game. So when you look at it, I mean, yes, Gabe Holt, Josh Young, those guys, Tanner Otremba, people were getting on base and making things happen, setting the table, but Cameron Warren was the one knocking it out of the park, and I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Now, it also makes you a little worried because you can't subsist on one guy's hot bat, but... I do think this has been a little bit of a missing X factor for the Red Raiders that we've been looking for. Last year, it was Zach Reams whose bat got hot with power starting in the Baylor series and that bad road trip that the Red Raiders played, and he stayed hot. Then he got even hotter in the postseason, really showed out in the regional and the super regional, and that's what you've needed is somebody to get back into that groove. Josh Young did some of it late in the season. Now Cameron Warren as well are really showing out from that home run standpoint. And you need that power. You need that threat. It it makes teams pitch you differently. And I think that's really important as well. So overall, as we talked about Cameron Warren and the others, you have seven players drafted. All of them should be gone. If Gabe Holt came back, I would be the happiest guy in the world. But I also wish the best for him. I wanted him to make the best decision for himself and his family. And I would imagine that he will be going to play pro ball. But you still have these guys through the rest of the postseason, and I'm glad that we do because there's a lot more baseball left to be played. And there's one more player that I want to mention, a big piece of news that came out, and I tweeted about it this week as well. Michael Davis, who was a 24th-round pick by the Minnesota Twins last year, Texas Tech shortstop, Michael Davis was promoted. He's been playing single-A ball, and he was promoted to the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. That is the Twins' double-A affiliate down in Pensacola, Florida. Extremely excited for Mike. You know, a 24th-round pick. I think his bonus was like $5,000. And now here he is in double-A ball. He's the first out of his draft class of Red Raiders, those 10, the first to make it to double-A ball. There's some guys that are in high single, advanced single-A. There's some guys that are getting close like Grant Little, but when it comes down to it, He's the first out of that class to get advanced, and that's a big deal. Double-A ball is a big deal to get into. That's where the prospects go. If you're in triple-A ball, you're really close to the pros, or you're never going to get there, or you're going up and down. But double-A ball is where they're really looking at you. That's where they're thinking, this is a guy that's going to get ranked in our club system as a hot prospect coming up soon. So super proud of him. Michael Davis joined several other Red Raiders that have reached that level of competition. Tyler Nesloni still playing ball. He's playing double A right now, as is Barrett Barnes, if you remember him, the outfielder. As far as pitchers go, Robert Duggar, Ryan Mosley are both playing double A, as is Jacob Patterson. Jacob Patterson playing in the Texas League, so he makes his way through Amarillo recently, and several folks went up there to watch him. Corey Taylor's playing triple A ball, as is Matt Custard and Danny Colomb. They're all playing triple A, so just one step away. Those are all the ones that have stats in the 2019 season at the very least. So definitely the Red Raiders still showing out strong. Hunter Hargrove, another one. He's playing in advanced A currently, as is Zach Davis, the Red Raiders' former outfielder. Both of those you feel like are pretty close. I think Hunter Hargrove's very close to a promotion as well. So some good things still going on. Guys from Michael Davis's class last year still out there grinding and playing as well, and I think we'll hear more from them too. But 48, that's the number to keep in your mind. 48 Red Raiders have gone in the Major League Baseball draft under Tim Tadlock. That is absolutely a fantastic number. You know, 
coming to college and playing college baseball is more and more an attractive option for high-level prospects. They can come in, they can get their work in, they fly charter flights to to games, they don't have to ride a bus, they're playing in front of big crowds, the chance to go to the College World Series in big atmospheres, TV coverage, things of that nature, where it, rather than slogging it out as an 18-year-old in the minor league system, you get to come to a big college and get exposure and have a good time and get an education at the same time. It's becoming very attractive. And Tim Tadlock, with almost 50 draft picks in his seven years as Texas Tech's head coach, that really speaks well to them as as well, to those prospects looking and saying, Tim Tadlock's a guy that can help get me to, to professional baseball. And that's ultimately the goal for most players if they're of that caliber. So so huge kudos to those guys, those those guys that got drafted this year and to Michael Davis on his promotion to double A ball. Excited about all of that and to continue watching it. So let's talk about this super regional. So for the second time in the postseason, the Red Raiders will have an early afternoon game. The Friday game is at 2 p.m. against Oklahoma State here in Lubbock. That'll be on ESPN2 at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. Of course, you can hear that on the Texas Tech Sports Network, Double T 97.3. Do note, though, in the postseason, 97.3 is not able to stream the games on their app. So you can only hear that on the radio. Otherwise, you won't be able to pick it up streaming. The Saturday game will be at 5 p.m., on ESPNU, and then if necessary, the Sunday game would also be at 5 p.m. on ESPNU. So let's hope for a two-game shutdown here, and the Red Raiders can roll on to their fourth College World Series. So let's talk a little bit about the stats these teams are bringing to the table and how I think they'll stack up, and then we'll call this thing done. I will be appearing once again on the Rob Bro Show here in Lubbock, Talk 1340. Went on for the entire show last week. It was just absolutely Chock full of shenanigans between Rob, myself, and Carson, his co-host. But it was a lot of fun, and we broke a lot of things down, talked about the bracket in general as well as the Lubbock Regional. I'll be on again this Friday. That's from 9 to 11 on Talk 1340 in Lubbock. Looking forward to hanging out with Bro and Carson and talking a little bit of baseball one more time while we have the chance. When we look at the stats for these teams, I see some major differences And I'm going to point a few of those out for you. So for Oklahoma State, one of the biggest things that pops out to me is they only have three guys that are batting over 300. Carson McCusker at 312, Max Hewitt 308, Alex Garcia 301. It's just really surprising. And Hewitt, not a guy that sees as much action as the others. But I'm just surprised overall that you have these guys at this point, a team that seems so offensive is just not really swinging it the way you would expect them to, where by comparison, Texas Tech, Cameron Warren's hitting 367, Josh Young 340, Drew Baker 328, Gabe Holt 324, Brian Klein 317, Cody Masters and Dylan Noisy both really close at 298. So you have some guys that are really putting it together. It's just a little bit surprising to see only a couple, you know, over that threshold for the Cowboys. As far as home runs go for them, Trevor Boone is the biggest threat for Oklahoma State. He's got 20 dingers on the season. Of course, for Texas Tech, Cameron Warren has 17. Josh Young now has 11. Dylan Noisy has eight home runs. So you have some guys that can swing it with power. The Red Raiders have hit 60 home runs on the season. With Trevor Boone's 20 to boost their total, the Cowboys have actually hit 87. So you've got Colin Simpson hitting 15. He's the catcher. 
Christian Funk has 12 of his own, as does Andrew Navigato. So they do swing it well. That's something to look at when you're coming into a hitter's ballpark like Texas Tech. When you have that many guys that are hitting for power, there's definitely something to think about there and something that Red Raider pitching needs to be aware of, as well as the outfield knowing that they're going to be swinging for the fences most likely, especially depending on the what the wind is doing. Now, one thing that does also really strike me, there's only one regular starter for Oklahoma State that does not have an error on the season. That's Dylan Gardner. Everyone else, their fielding percentage is sub 1,000, which isn't that unusual, you know, 990s, high 980s, but you got guys in the 940s. Max Hewitt has a 944 fielding percentage, Carson McCusker a 945, Andrew Navigato a 935. So being error-prone, especially in the postseason, that's something that a team like Texas Tech could really make you pay for. To compare that, Drew Baker, who isn't getting regular starting time now, he has a 934 fielding percentage on the season. So there's your comparison, a guy that really did struggle with the errors throughout the season when he was getting the start at shortstop. But other guys, Cole Stilwell does not have an error. Neither does Tanner O'Trimba. Of course, they're not seeing quite as much work out there. But Cameron Warren, a 996 fielding percentage. Josh Young, 974, has only had one error since he moved to shortstop. So definitely a difference there. Brian Klein, 987, his fielding percentage on the season. So definitely some things to look at there as far as the Red Raiders and their sure-handedness in the field versus Oklahoma State, who it looks like they boot the ball around a little bit more than the Red Raiders do. So for Texas Tech also, there's a lot of RBIs being hit. They have 419 runs batted in on the season, and a big difference with Oklahoma State, they have 340. So Trevor Boone and Colin Simpson lead that team with 54 and 52 RBI respectively. Of course, Cameron Warren has 75 RBI now, and then Josh Young with 53. You have Brian Klein with 51 of his own, Dylan Noisy with 48. Noisy still has six triples on the season, but you've had others start to step in. Cam Warren with two triples this season. Gabe Holtz got three. He hit one this weekend in the regional, and Max Marshock has four. So you see in the Red Raiders up there swinging it. They're hitting, getting runs home, and that's what you need them to be doing, putting barrels to balls and getting runners across the plate. That's been the name of the game for Texas Tech this season, and it is serving them well. You also have two Red Raiders slugging over 600, Cameron Warren and Josh Young. Cam Warren with a 693 slugging percentage right now. Josh with a 608. He's also got 51 walks on the season. Nobody from the walk standpoint is even close. Christian Funk has 42 for the Cowboys. They only have one player. That's Trevor Boone batting or slugging over 600. He's got a 636. And then from there, a pretty big drop-off. The next closest, Carson McCusker with a 532, Navigato with a 529. But nobody coming close from that standpoint, which is surprising as many home runs as you see them hit. But they're definitely not hitting nearly as many extra base hits. Certainly not nearly the triple numbers, only eight on the season as a team. Red Raiders have 128 doubles, which is 25 more than Oklahoma State has. So that's definitely nice to see as well, seeing the Red Raiders are getting runners around the bases more, maybe not hitting it out of the park quite as often. Josh Young leads the team with 22 doubles on the season. Brian Klein close behind with 18. Cameron Warren with 16. For the Cowboys, their leader only has 17 in McCusker. And then Houston Morrell has 16 coming up behind him. So 
When you look at the stats, the Red Raiders clearly lead it offensively. I think that they you certainly have a couple bright spots for the Cowboys, Trevor Boone being the most dangerous as a long ball hitter, and there are a couple others as well. But all in all, I think good pitching by Texas Tech can shut these guys down. Now, speaking of pitching for the Cowboys, Jensen Elliott remains their innings leader. He's got a 333 ERA and 94 and two-thirds innings pitched. Hitters are hitting a 214 against him. Peyton Battenfield has a 291 ERA and 58 and two-thirds. Hitters hitting a 186 against him. Lionheart, Joe Lionheart was the hero when helping to win that regional against UConn. He's got a 435 and 51 and two-thirds, but hitters hitting a 280 against him. So there were just some moments, I think. He got a couple calls on his side. He made kind of this rumbling run and falling dive to snag a pop-up bunt during that UConn game and, and snagged it. He's a very, very animated guy coming off the mound and back to the dugout. It, it's almost childlike. It's a little bit fun to watch, but silly at the same time. But you look up and down the rotation for these guys, for the Cowboys, and you just don't see anything close to what the Red Raiders can bring, not from a depth standpoint. You know, you kind of get through these starters and then suddenly there's a pretty big drop off. There's some surprises as far as ERAs, you know, climbing up there, some ugly records. Strikeout to walk ratios are, are really pretty abysmal for this team. Nothing really positive to look at. Lionheart has 41 strikeouts to 21 walks. Not, and I shouldn't say abysmal. They're not all bad, but there's a lot of them that aren't really great. But then when you flip over to Texas Tech statistics, as far as pitching goes, Caleb Killian leads the team with 83 and a third innings pitched. He's got 72 strikeouts to 18 walks. Batter's hitting a 246 against him. He's got a 389 ERA. He's 8-3 and three on the season, but you know that Killian goes out there and gets it done. He has certainly been strong for Texas Tech. As far as the batting average against... The leader on the team is Clayton Beater. They're hitting a 164 against him. Clayton Beater picked up a freshman All-American honor from College Baseball Newspaper. And I'm not going to dive into all the awards and stuff right now. It's just too much too soon. There's postseason baseball to worry about for those that, yes, I know. Josh Young was a second-team All-America from College Baseball Newspaper. If you've ever heard me talk about that outlet, you know that the word poll with them when it comes to their weekly poll is ridiculous because there's one guy there, and he's the one deciding how people are ranked. He's probably the one deciding who becomes an All-American as well. So I don't know their whole process, but out of all the outlets that get National Pub, that's the one that I'm paying the least amount of attention to. Connor Queen leads the team still with a .64 ERA. He has been back in action and showing off strong. He's got 14 innings pitched. Looking really nice out there and, and showing a lot of excitement. Dane Havman still leads the team in appearances. He has 28. Taylor Floyd close on his heels with 26 appearances on the season. Everybody just really showing out. Dane Havman, 52 strikeouts to only seven walks. I mean, I think that the Red Raiders are hitting and pitching as well as you could hope for here in the postseason. And now they just have to take care of business one more time at home against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I know that I'll be in the ballpark all weekend, probably doing a little bit of tailgating as well. I am really looking forward to this. You may or may not know, those of you that don't know me, uh, I've been a little bit more absent than I wanted to be over the last few weeks, and I, I want to tell you why. Uh, my dad has struggled with brain cancer all the way through the spring, and unfortunately, although he beat the brain cancer, 
He was not able to overcome the effects of the treatment, the aggressive radiation that he received. So he passed away in May. We had his funeral this last weekend at Kerrville. It was a fantastic service, absolutely beautiful. It was really a great time with family, lots of laugh, lots of tears. I was able to get back into Lubbock and see that Sunday game, see the regional championship. I watched the Saturday game on my phone for the most part, got to see most of it when we got back to the hotel room. But I apologize I hadn't been around as much as I wanted to. Over the last few weeks, been dealing with that and finishing up some things at work. But there's exciting things on the horizon. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate all of you for listening to and supporting Dinger Derby. Blows my mind when I throw out a tweet and there's so many people engaging with me. I encourage you to continue telling your friends about the podcast, telling other folks. I'm sharing it out on all the Facebook groups and trying to make sure everyone knows about it. But please, if you haven't hit subscribe, go hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. This thing's available in Google Podcasts and Podcast Addict and Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can get it on your Google Home. You can get it on Spotify, you name it. But go subscribe for me. Continue to rate and review. That really helps other folks find it. Had a question from Rob Bro. what I'm going to do in the off season. I don't really know yet how we're going to do things, what exactly we'll be doing. We'll be doing a few things here and there, but I do know I'm not ready to think about that yet because we got a super regional to win, and the Red Raiders have a trip to Omaha to make, and I'm going to be making it with them. So I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to some great baseball this weekend at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. If I don't see you out there this weekend, have a great time. Make sure you watch these Red Raiders play, and until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me